Recovery Elevator, episode 49. This is a progressive disease, and getting better is a, is a progressive task. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul. Thank you so much for joining us. According to the Recovery Elevator sobriety tracker on my phone, I have been sober for 16 months and two weeks. And let me tell you, like James Brown would say, it feels good. On today's podcast, I've got Colin. He hit his bottom in October of 2015. After that, he got 45 days of sobriety. Then those holidays hit. He drank. He relapsed. But guess what he did? He got back up on his feet, and he's got 16 days again. The topic for today's podcast is songs about recovery. And I'd like to give a special shout out of gratitude to Miss Maureen for helping me compile this list. Actually, let's get honest. Maureen compiled 19 of the 20 songs on this list. My only request was there's got to be a third eye blind song on there. Obviously. Now you might be thinking to yourself, oh cool, I'm going to hear some really good songs about recovery. Well, thank you ASCAP and BMI. None of that will be taking place during this podcast. I just read up on the legalities of playing music in podcasts, and there is a gray area that is grayer than gray. Potential fines up to hundreds of thousands of dollars, jail time. We're just going to have to deal with me singing the songs. Just kidding. That is not happening either. But let's get into this list. The list will also be viewable on the recoveryelevator.com website. Go to podcast, find episode 49. There you will find a complete list of these songs without links to iTunes of where to purchase them. Take that, ASCAP and BMI. Song number one of 20 is called Hate Me by Blue October. What alcoholic cannot relate to these lyrics? I know I personally have felt this so many times. When we disappoint our loved ones after a relapse or another crisis, it would be easier if they would just hate us and go away. At least we think to ourselves. But at the beginning of this song, it's his mom leaving a message on a voice recorder, checking in on him, saying, son, did you take your medications today? And at this point, when the singer-songwriter wrote the song, he had 90 days of sobriety, and basically it was him thanking his mom for not hating him. Song number two is You're Not My God by Keith Urban. You're not my God, and you're not my friend. You're not the one I will walk with in the end. This sounds to me like a goodbye letter to alcohol and drugs. And by the way, Keith Urban, he's very public about his recovery. And for that, Keith, I got to say thank you. The third song on the list is That's Why I'm Here by Kenny Chesney. This is all about one man's take on his first AA meeting. It gives the impression that all along that he's felt that he's wanted what other people had in those meetings. There are plenty of 12-step references in this song. And in the beginning, it says, well, I ain't had nothing to drink. I know that's probably what you'd think. I don't know, for some reason, that line hit a chord with me. Actually, pun intended. Song number four, actually, I'm going to go with artist number four because a lot of his songs have references to it, is that dude called Macklemore. I'm pretty sure the song that put this guy on the map was the thrift shop song. I bought a broken keyboard and then I bought a kneeboard. I love that song. In his song, Fallen, some of the lyrics go like this. Another drink at the bar, but I'm not drunk enough. Basically, the whole song is describing his downward spiral in pretty good detail. One of my favorite Macklemore songs about recovery is called The Other Side. It's a great song about relapse and how low that can make us feel. He describes going back to a meeting after a relapse and a fan tells him how much he's inspired her with her own recovery. He can't even look at her in the eyes. He's so ashamed and he feels like a fake. It's a great song for starting over because a lot of his in recovery, we start over many times. 
Another one of his songs that I really like is called Inhale Deep. Some of the lyrics go like this. Every struggle in life is there to teach you a lesson. But if you make the end, you will never know the beauty of being able to stand up again. Gosh darn, these are powerful lyrics. And this just in, you heard it here first. I'm just kidding. It's all over the internet. On his next album titled Kevin. He teams up with Leon Bridges, and this song talks about the epidemic of doctors prescribing medications and people then getting addicted on the medications prescribed by those doctors, the medical professionals. The next song on the list is called Not an Addict by Kay's Choice. Not too subtle of a title there, Miss Kay. This song is clearly about heroin addiction and the denial of being an addict. This song says, we're so creative, so much more. We're high, but on the floor. It's not a habit. It's cool. I feel alive. Sounds to me like the lyrics in this song are telling themselves that they can stop at any time. Next song on the list is called Recover from Natasha Bedingfield. This is a great positive song. She stresses, it's not what we've done, but how far we've come. The message overall is we will recover. The worst is over. The worst is over. Think about that again. If you are at the point in your journey when you're ready to take that blind leap of faith and quit drinking, At least tell yourself that. If you stay on the path of sobriety, the worst is over. Sobriety, let me tell you firsthand, it's hard. I know in the first 15 seconds of this podcast, I was like, yeah, 16 months, two weeks, life is great. It is. 92 to 97% of the time. But I got to keep telling myself, the worst is over. If I take that first drink, hello, shitstorm. And I cannot believe I forgot this. I don't have a one third eye blind song. I got two. Next song is God of Wine by Third Eye Blind. Check out this lyric. She takes a drink and then she waits. The alcohol, it permeates. And soon the cells give away and cancel out the day. This resonates well with me. I had huge aspirations and goals while drinking. But the instant I took that drink, they weren't just tossed out the window. They flew out the window with incredible velocity. I would even convince myself that I was more productive drunk. Like, hey, let's drink some beers and clean the house. The first part of that happened, just not the second. Next up on the list is The A-Team by Ed Sheeran. Ed penned this one about a drug addict girl he met on the streets of London. He befriended her and describes her as a cool girl with no phone. The first time I heard this, I was like, no phone, who really cares? And then I was like, wait a second. Last week, I went out to breakfast and left my phone at home. And at every red light, I was like, I'm going back. I I I cannot do this. I'm going back to get my fucking phone. She basically chose her addiction in front of everything. House, life, and a phone. Next up on this list is Sound City. Stevie Nicks collaborates with David Grohl and some other artists. The underlying theme with this song is you can't fix this. It's about dancing with the devil. And the devil is not that big red guy in the Tom Cruise movie Legend. It's the addiction. I've heard that Stevie Nicks is very vocal about her recovery. Again, Stevie, thanks for that. I wonder if her song Landslide could be about recovery. Shaking a magic eight ball, signs most likely point to yes. There are some other very obvious ones just by the title. One Day at a Time by Joe Walsh. Who is Joe Walsh? To me, he will always be the Wonder Years theme guy. Love that song. I got another song titled One Day at a Time, and that's by Yusuf Islam. Who in the hell is that? Oh yeah, it's Cat Stevens. He did experience a wild world. Next up on this list is the song Make Me a Channel of Your Peace by Sine O'Connor. I like this song because it's got the third step prayer in it. It's kind of somber, but also pretty. Next up is Losing My Way by Justin Timberlake. 
I used to be the man in my hometown until I started to lose my way. It spells out his downward spiral into addiction. Oh, cry me a river, Justin. Just kidding. I love all your stuff. Next song on the list is Sober by Pink. Pink, you probably could have got a little more creative with the song title, but it resonates. This song says, I'm safe, up high, nothing can touch me, but why do I feel this party's over? Pink, it's kind of like when you get to that place where you accept the current situation. You're okay with the gig being up, with the realization that you were drinking on borrowed time for a long time. And eventually, acceptance is the answer. The gig is up. Next song is Amazing by Aerosmith. Many of us know that frontman Steven Tyler has been in recovery and is very open about it. Speaking of Steven Tyler, that dude looks like a lady. Just kidding. I stole that from Steven Tyler. But anyways, this song is just about how amazing life can be in recovery and also how amazing the 90s were. I'm not sure about that, but I just threw that one in there. Steven hit a rough patch in 2006 after he had surgery. He got addicted to, go figure, pain meds, but he checked himself back into rehab and he did what a lot of us do in recovery. We get back on our feet and we keep moving forward. Next up, we've got Leave the Lights On by Beth Hart. She says, I want to love. I want to live. I don't know much about it. I never did. 17 and I'm all messed up inside. I cut myself just to feel alive. Wow, what pain Beth is in. To summarize that song, addiction sucks. And the last song I got on this list by, go figure my favorite band, Third Eye Blind, semi-charmed kind of life. Here's just a snippet of the lyrics. Doing crystal meth will lift you up until you break. We tripped on the edge of wanting to feel alive, and now we're struggling to stay alive. Third Eye Blind, how do you write all these fantastic songs? True story about this song. I was at a summer camp. I think it was like 97, a summer camp. I'm like 16. And at the dance, I went up to the DJ and requested semi-charm kind of life. I swore on my life the entire dance floor would be bumping. He pulls out a tape. Yes, I'm dating myself. It was a tape. I even myself wondered, I'm like, why does this guy have tapes and not CDs? Anyways, he plays semi-charm kind of life. The dance floor empties. And I want to make it very clear, not because the song sucks, but because it's not a very good dancing song. And I, being an awkward teenager at summer camp at age 16, I also was like, no way. I'm out of here. I'm not sticking around. And I left the dance floor as well. Another song that kind of just came to mind is Amy Winehouse Rehab. She died from detoxing from alcohol. Shit is dangerous. Some other artists that are open about their recovery consist of Neil Young, Don Henley. Side note, thank you, Don Henley, for all those kick-ass 80s songs. Also, we got James Taylor, Elton John. Now, those are some success stories. Other stories not so successful could include names like Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain, and again, Amy Winehouse. Imagine what this world missed out on if they had continued to create a musical form of art. Their life was cut short due to their addiction. Not all of us make it through it. I personally feel like a lucky one. Why do I feel like a lucky one? There are nearly 25 million people in the United States struggling with addiction. And only a small percentage of those are in recovery or seeking help. So I'm a lucky one to be here podcasting about recovery. I had a failed suicide attempt in 2014. I've only mentioned this in one previous podcast, and that was Paul's story number two or number three. But I'm lucky to be here right now producing this podcast. Whether the podcast is good or total crap, it doesn't matter to me. I'm sober. Whether anybody is still listening to the podcast at 15 minutes and 23 seconds into it, it doesn't matter to me because I'm sober. Okay, 
let's hear from our interviewee, Colin. Colin, how are you? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me, Paul. Yeah, great to have you here with us. Colin, how long have you been sober? Been sober for 16 days, um, and that's after uh, I had a period of 45 days, and the holidays threw me for a bit of a loop, but uh, but I'm back on track, and I'm working a, a good program, and I feel good. I feel good. Damn, those holidays are tough. And listeners, Colin's got 16 days. Colin, guys like you are the guys who I want to have on this podcast. They want to create accountability. 16 days. I remember looking, listening to people that had years of sobriety thinking like, how can I ever achieve that? And But I got to give you props. 16 days, that's fantastic. That's 16 days to build on. It's not chump change. Let's keep going forward. And Colin, tell listeners a little bit about yourself before we get into the interview, which I can't wait to hear more about your story. So perhaps, you know, where you're from, what do you do for a living? How old are you? Are you married? What do you like to do for fun? Sure. Um, absolutely. Uh, I'm originally from Illinois and moved to the foothills in here in North Carolina. Been here about six years or so. Uh, I'm not married, single. Had a bit of a, a spiral down towards my bottom over 2015. So I'm kind of starting over from scratch. And that's, that's not, not such a bad thing. Got nowhere to go but up, and, and I'm excited. There you go. Nowhere to go but up in sobriety. And we both know, at least personally, what I have witnessed in my life, there's a progression when I was drinking. It was like a slow, just downward trend. Have you witnessed that as well? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's, uh, I have a lot of wreckage to clear, but for the first time in, in my adult life, there's opportunities now that I can see, and there's hope. And, and just a lot to look forward to. And I know that if I keep working a, a good program and I do what I'm supposed to be doing and taking things one thing at a time, it's only going to get better and better. And, and the folks I've run into in sobriety who have long-term sobriety can attest to that it just keeps getting better and better. And gotten my ass handed to me enough times um, that I'm really looking forward to, to a better life. Absolutely. And let's talk about the podcast title, Recovery Elevator. When did your elevator hit its bottom? Was it 16 days ago on January 5th of this year? Or was it after, you know, when you, before you hit the 45 days of sobriety? Talk to me about that. Well, my bottom was in October of last year. And that's, that's when things really started to change for me. Let's see, I had a period of about three weeks. Uh, after I hit my bottom and ended up relapsing for about a week and then got back on track and made it for 45 days, uh, worked a better program and learned some lessons, uh, and then had a couple of slips around the holidays. And I don't look at it as if each time is a complete disaster. This is a progressive disease, and getting better is a, is a progressive task. Yeah, you're and right. Your, your recovery gets it progresses as well, but Hang tight. You said, you know, I, I had a slip up. I relapsed. I learned some lessons. And what were those lessons? I'm, I'm curious. Well, each time I've either learned something new or something that I've learned in the past has taken on a deeper kind of understanding for me. So I'll get to my bottom. But after I hit uh, my bottom, the things were just absolutely miserable. And I put together that, that first little chunk of time. I ended up trying to take uh, Xanax again. And that's been part of my story is uh, I've always been an anxious guy um, and dealt with anxiety and was on Xanax for a, a couple of years. And it's a great drug unless you're an alcoholic uh, or an addict. 
And I had stopped taking it, and I tried to take it again, thinking that, okay, I can control it this time. I've stopped drinking, and hey, if I just take it as prescribed and, and use it for my anxiety, it'll be all good. Well, I took it, and I think it took about an hour after I had filled my prescription, I was drunk again. That drug definitely plays on the same sort of brain chemistry as alcohol. So there was a lesson right there is that, okay, I can't, I can't take anything. I'm not wired that way. And I was also trying to I think, sort of unconsciously or subconsciously get sober for a girl, a, a woman who had left me um, because of my drinking. And so there was a big lesson there that you got to do this for yourself first and foremost, and you're not going to be good to anyone else unless you're doing it for yourself. Hang on. I, I was worried. I was worried for a second there when you said a girl left me because of my drinking. And, and then I, I had to get sober. I was like, Oh no, you, you can't get sober for the girl. And then you just said it right after that. You're like, I had to get sober for myself. So listeners, that's a value bomb right there. Continue on calling. Yeah, absolutely. You got to do it for you. And it's just, it's not going to work if you don't. So this, this latest slip I had, I, I was doing great after uh, relapsing after that first chunk of time. I went on about uh, a week-long binge or so and then came to the conclusion that I got to do this um, for me because this thing's going to take me under if I don't. Uh, and I just got to sort of allow the future to happen if it's going to happen and I need to focus on getting healthy. And I put in a good 45 days. I started going to meetings. I started doing readings. Uh, got more and more involved into the absolutely wonderful accountability group that you put together. And I was putting together sort of the the basis for a decent program. Made it it some time. uh, Started, my body started healing. Uh, The fog started to slightly lift. Started to get cocky is what happened. And I kind of eased up on my program and decided that I was going to drive cross country to go see my folks, uh, see my family. And I didn't put a plan in place. Yeah, I was cocky. I was thinking, I kind of got this. You know, I can do this. And I didn't put a, a plan in place to kind of keep some sort of recovery going. Got overconfident, hit the road, and you know that 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 voice that comes and it came, and I wasn't prepared for it. And I ended up drinking in, in a hotel room or in a motel, and that was pretty low. And I think the whole time I, I knew that I don't want to go back to this. And I, I knew where it was going to take me. But I, it was kind of one of the, I got, I got a case of the fuckers is what happened. But there, there you go. There's a huge lesson that, that really struck, struck home was this thing's serious and it's not playing around. And what's that, that thing they say in, uh, in the rooms all the time is it, it's out there doing push-ups um, while, while you're, trying to get better and it's always going to be with me and that's something that I can't play around with and I have to be growing and doing the work. Colin what was it like the next morning when you woke up in that hotel room thinking back last night I drank what was that feeling like? Oh man you know I I did a good job at not beating myself up too badly. Good good. Uh, Normally I would have had a pity party but you know it it, let me go back to when I'm drinking, I, I, I pick up the bottle, I go to the motel room, and I'm thinking, okay, let's do this thing. You know? And it wasn't fun. Uh, you know, I, I started drinking 
well, my drinking progressed because I love alcohol. And what it used to do for me is, is fill up that missing piece inside. I got the warm and fuzzies. The, the universe aligned perfectly. It was this sort of magical experience. And by this point, the alcohol just doesn't work. I think I, I started drinking. I got about 15 minutes of kind of a, a good feeling. And uh, you know, I was just drinking to oblivion and I just got sick. And then I was hung over um, for the whole next day. And so that, that's how I felt the morning was. Like this was a total waste. And now I got to finish this drive and then go see my loved ones hung over. It, it, it doesn't fill that role anymore at all. Colin, when you say you got to see your loved ones hung over, was that hung over something you wore on your sleeve or were you hiding it? Did your parent, were your, were the, your loved ones your parents, I take it? Uh, yeah, my, my, my parents and uh, my sister and nieces. Now, do uh, they have any clue that you're trying to quit drinking or what's going on? They do. And they do. When I bottomed out there in October, I had a, I had talked with them um, and just said, here's what's going on. And boy, that, that's a, a, a great feeling when, when you get it out into the world. You know, we, we have a tendency to walk around just with this, the shame, sort of the, the just being upset with ourselves and feeling like we're carrying this, this, this secret, this carrying this weight around. And by reaching out to other people and, and getting it off our chest, or, or at least for me, just changed everything. It's out there now. It's real. And now I can deal with it. And I've gotten nothing but support from, from my family. It's been wonderful. You said it was a great feeling when you told your loved ones, your family, you know, great feeling. I I know what that means, but expand more about that. And were you afraid before you told them that you thought they'd say like, all right, Colin, there's the door. We'll see you later. Right. Oh, I I didn't have that fear. It it was when I, I, I let it out to him, I was so low at that point. I was just in such desperation that it was almost like I didn't have any sort of what I would have thought at the time would be integrity, but that's, that's not right. Um, because integrity is, is taking responsibility. Uh, I know now, but I just, I, I was beat and, uh, I needed help. And so it, it was a tough conversation. Absolutely. But, but I had a good feeling that I was going to get, um, good, good support coming, coming my way. So and tell me about that support that when I told, I was so afraid of telling all my friends that I didn't think I'd get support for some silly reason. Talk to me about that support that you're getting from your support system. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> my sister has been great. Uh, my sister and uh, my folks, uh, they send me texts each day. And, you know, I, they're normies and they don't, they don't get it, but they're trying to get it. Uh, and and I, I feel really lucky uh, for that. I know there's a lot of people who deal with, with, folks that care about it, who care about them that that don't get that support and they don't have folks who are willing to try to be open-minded i think i think my um my family is is trying to learn um they ask questions about it but yeah they contact me all the time kind of checking up on me but it's not uh you know i'm not not put in that way like they're checking up on me um but just asking questions like you know how, how are you dealing with this what uh how are you doing just wanting, showing an effort to be a part of uh, of my recovery, and that that's pretty fantastic. And isn't it amazing to see that they care so much about something they they don't understand? My when my dad asks me he, in like roundabout ways, he's like, "Hey, how are you doing with 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 it?" I was like, "With with it? Oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm good, Dad. Thank thank you very much for asking. They don't get it, and I'm glad 
they don't get it. And, and Colin, it sounds mm-hmm. like at this stage in your journey, you're becoming bilingual. And what I mean by that is your addiction, which is lying to you in your own voice. You're starting to recognize that. Like, wait a second, that's my addiction talking to me. Are you still trying to listen to your addiction? And for example, when it tells you like, hey, like we, we can do this. Let's just not drink before 5 p.m. Or, or let's only drink beer and no hard alcohol. Have you still thought about rules like that? Or can you tell listeners, have you tried to implement rules like that to control your drinking? <laughs> yes, absolutely. You know, for the longest time, I didn't see the drinking as the, the sort of the, the, the crux of the problem. And so I would think to myself, okay, if I can just work on self-improvement in other areas of my life, right? If I can get in shape or, or um, you know, I can start waking up at 6 a.m. every morning, just all these things, then I'd sort of assume that the drinking would lessen because, hey, you know, I'm doing better over here. And so my drinking will just uh, I'll go easier, you know, I won't be drinking as much. And so I would get into these cycles where I think, okay, I'm going to take all these other things on and the drinking will work itself out. So I tried to improve in these other areas. The drinking would get in the way, and I'd fall and fail on trying to, well, trying to improve myself, and so I'd drink more. And I'd get into these cycles. And eventually I started to understand more and more that, okay, the drinking is getting in the way here. This, is, this is sort of needs to be more in the forefront of what I do. And so I tried, I think I've tried everything in the book. I tried, let's see, uh, the, the beer route. Okay, I'll stop drinking vodka and I'll drink beer. Um, that doesn't work. I failed at that. I thought, okay, I'll limit it to you know six drinks a night. We'll, we'll do it this way. I mean, I think I remember having my whole charts. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. And combining it, too. So it would be like, okay, I'll, I'll have beer Monday through Friday, and then I can have, you know, hard alcohol, you know, on these other days and only at this time. Or, and it just it never works. I can control it for a little bit. I can white knuckle it, and I can kind of force it to work, but it eventually will fail. And that's because I'm, I'm not wired to, to be able to handle that. And, and what it really comes down to is when I try to control drinking, it's miserable because if I have a couple of drinks and then stop, that's not why I drink. <laughs> I don't drink to, to loosen up a little bit or get giggly. I, I drink to oblivion. I drink to try to feel something that I'm missing inside. And so, you know, I've finally done on me. Why, why even attempt this? Why attempt to control this drinking? Even if I, even if I could work it out so that I'm drinking small amounts of alcohol in a responsible manner, it'll just be torture because that's not why, how I want to drink or why I want to drink anyway. So, yes, I've been there, and, uh, and I can't do it. And you can't do it. Colin, we're 17 minutes and 30 seconds into this interview, and I have not heard the word HP, higher power, God. I'm saying you personally can't do this. And look, my name is Paul Churchill. I'm the first to admit I don't have all the answers or even close to half the answers. But I firmly believe for me personally that my higher power, and it's not the guy on the cross, has helped me stay sober. And I can't even explain it. Is this something that you are open to? And if if not, there's no right or wrong answer here. I'm just curious. Yeah, um, it's something that that I've struggled with a bit. Uh, I'm, I'm not a religious guy. And I stayed away, honestly. I, 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 well, I was hesitant to, to go to a 12-step meeting for that reason. But 
got desperate enough and just in so much misery that I was open to anything. And, you know, I don't have a higher power in the, the, the sense of, of a God, but it's something that's evolving for me. I, I'm not, I'm not opposed to the idea. And Hey, if, if someone uses a uh, God and it gets them sober, more power to them, uh, go for it. But I think my, my higher power is sort of developing into hope, the, the hope of a better life and the, the faith. I, I faith has become a, a big thing for me. And it's not necessarily a faith in God, but it's faith. in if I keep doing that next right thing, if I keep working on my character flaws, if I keep connecting with other alcoholics, if I try to be the best person I can be and grow, things are going to get better and better for me and then better for the people around me. And so that that's sort of, I guess my higher power is, is developing. It's definitely <laughs> developing. But I, I don't think you have to believe in God to, to use that concept. Colin, I love what you said. I wrote this down, actually. You said, faith. If I keep working and doing the right thing, and a lot of people, when I hear faith, it's contemporaneous with a God, but no, it's just faith and the hope. Those those words mean so much more to me right now, Colin, and I, I love it. In Colin, what does your recovery portfolio look like? How did you get into day 16? Absolutely. I've, I've adjusted and, and tweaked some things uh, after this last slip, and so I added uh, a meditation practice that I'm doing regularly, uh, just sort of breath meditation every morning, which is really helping. Walk um, me through that. Like, how long is it? Do you do it to music? Is it an app? Or Yeah, tell me more about that. Sure. Um, it's just Vipassima um, meditation. And so it's just uh, sitting in a silent room and paying attention to the breath. And it stops come up, acknowledging that they're there and sort of allowing them to pass pass through uh, my mind without clinging on to them. And it's hard, man. <laughs> it's really hard. And you really realize how, how much of a monkey mind you have uh, when you sit down to do it. And you see these thoughts come through and you sort of start to realize that you're not necessarily your thoughts. And crazy shit will come into your head that just seems like it comes out of nowhere. And you're really paying attention to that as you just keep returning to your breath each time. And, you know, this, this helps out a ton. Uh, we were talking about that alcoholic voice. And I can see it as a muscle that's growing uh, that allows me to sort of pay attention to that alcoholic voice when it comes in and realize I don't have to react. I don't have to follow, you know, what it's telling me. I can just sort of let it be, acknowledge it, and let it go. And so that, that's been huge. And it's hard. It, it's, it's tough work to do nothing, ironically. Oh, I um, love it. But yeah, I do about uh, 10 minutes and, and I've worked my way up to that and I hope to keep expanding. But yeah, I, I wake up, I pray um, and, you know, we discussed I'm, I'm not a God guy, but uh, but I'm open to it, you know, and, and I don't have a problem with it. I do readings. Uh, I read from the big book. I read uh, Recovery Elevator Post, which is fantastic. Uh, see what everybody's up to. Um, I'm actually reading a pretty cool book right now um, by Noah Noah Levine um, called Refuge Recovery, which is all about a Buddhist approach um, to recovery, which has been really interesting. And it's kind of a different take on, on the 12 steps, and it's been helpful. Uh, I'm working sort of cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, which is another great tool that 
can really help you or help me or a person identify those thoughts. And, and it's not just uh, thoughts relating to alcohol, uh, because I know that alcohol is just sort of a, a, a mask, um, something I've used to cover up other issues that I've had. And it's tough. You get into early recovery and get bombarded with uh, sort of all these old emotions and, and, and things that are going on. So what does cognitive therapy look like? It's sort of, in a lot of ways, it kind of comes from an Eastern, Eastern slant on things. What it is, is it's learning to pay attention to thoughts as they come and dealing with what they call ants or automatic negative thoughts. And so you, you learn to kind of pay attention to your mind um, and the thoughts you have and then identify the ones that aren't healthy or that aren't true. So if my alcoholic voice comes in, and says, uh, you screwed this up and, and let's self-destruct, man. Come on, go, go drink. You know, I can say, okay, that's BS. Um, <laughs> I don't have to follow this. Uh, and then I can replace it with a healthier thought um, that I can, I'm going to be a happier person, for instance, if I keep on this track. And so it's, it's learning to, to rewire. I mean, you're physically rewiring your brain. And, and eventually sort of those pathways that lead towards just reacting um, in, in unhealthy ways begin to change and, and, and be rewired. And that's helped a, a ton with anxiety as well. So, for instance, if I'm nervous, well, for instance, okay, <laughs> I'm nervous about coming on this podcast. Yeah, uh, you said you were nervous about 26 minutes ago. Yeah. That's, that's right. And so, yeah, before the call, my, my brain has these ants, these automatic negative thoughts of, oh, this is going to be terrible, right? And that's nonsense. This is, this is a great opportunity. This is exciting. This is very cool. And so to have the, to be able to acknowledge that, wait a minute, stop there. That's, that's not true. And that's not healthy. And there's a more, uh, there's a better way to, to look at this and replacing it with this is going to be cool. And so CBT is great, um, and I recommend it to anybody. And there's all kinds of information online where you can sort of find that you can start a practice or you can go to uh, counselors that, that can do that, help you with that. Uh, I exercise, and in fact, I'm finding myself kind of becoming a, an exercise junkie. Uh, I definitely have the, the all-or-nothing alcoholic mindset. Of, yeah, I know what that means. And, and, yeah, and I got to watch out too because I, I don't think it's healthy to. I, I can start. Yeah, I find myself sort of using exercise as a, as a way to escape. And so I'm being careful with that. But hey, there's worse vices to have, I suppose. So I exercise, I clean my diet up quite a bit. I'm really trying to avoid the sugar. Uh, you did a great podcast uh, a while back on, on sugar. Uh, and you know, it, it, there's such a. a and emphasis in recovery, there's so many folks who just say, go out and, and stuff your face with sugar. And I mean, hey, if it works and it keeps somebody sober, then, then you know, whatever, that, that's cool. But uh, but it's bad. I can tell it it, it, it makes me fluctuate. My, my emotions fluctuate. My mood fluctuates. And, and I think it's dangerous for me personally. Have you ever uh, had, like, you know, a bunch of cookies or donuts or a lot of sugar the night before in, in sobriety and maybe the 45-day stint or during the 16-day stint, and the next day you straight up have one half of a hangover? Have you ever felt that? Yeah, absolutely, man, absolutely. And, and it screws in my sleep, too. Uh, it, it's hard enough in early sobriety trying to get your circadian rhythm down again, and it, it sugar just throws me, and then I'm all past the night. And you wake up feeling feeling tired and 
And so yeah, you know, I can I can definitely relate to that. Yeah, and that was the impetus behind my entire exercise and diet change regime is because it was easier for me to stay sober when my mind was not being doused with toxins and pollutants like sugar. If I'm just like an even kill, constant state of mind, you know, I'm eating healthy food, eating clean, it was easier to stay sober. And here I am at 16 and a half months, and I'm still eating clean and avoiding sugars and things like that. And I exercise not for vanity reasons, but it's a bonus, but it keeps my mind clean. And tell me, how, what's your workout regime look like when you say exercise? Uh, lift a lot of weights. And also, I, I hike a lot. Uh, I'm lucky enough that I live in sort of the country out here in the foothills. And I live uh, on what used to be an old school. Uh, and so there's, there's 1,300 acres. And it's been abandoned and closed down. And I'm living in an old, uh, I guess it was like a professor's or a teacher's house. Uh, and so uh, my backyard is like 1,300 acres of, of untouched forest. And so it's pretty fantastic. So I just walk out the door and I can go hiking all over the place, and wow. so and I I found that that kind of that kind of steady state cardio really really helps. And you know you said uh, an even keel, and that that really is important to me. And, you know I spent so much time when you're drinking, and and I was uh, one of these drinkers who I, I was a constant drinker. Uh, or towards the end, I always had alcohol in my blood, and I found myself in this state where I was either getting sick and starting to go through withdrawal or I was getting loaded and it was just this pendulum of misery where Good word, pendulum. I never, I never knew peace of mind that way. It's always, okay, I need to be thinking about how to take in more alcohol or how to fake it so that I can get through something that I need to get through and look like I'm sober, but I'm not. And it's just, it's, it's absolutely miserable. Yeah. It's, it's such a, such a relief, man, just not to have to, be consumed with just being obsessed and, and, and it's a full-time job being an alcoholic, uh, an active alcoholic. That's for sure. Definitely is. Hey, Colin, how old are you? Uh, 35, just turned 35 in December. 35. Yeah. We're in, we're in our thirties. We got some things in common. Uh, you know, we are both single and Colin, I've, I've seen you, uh, you I, I met you in the recovery elevator accountability group. And one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on a podcast is every time you post, it's positive. I read your posts. I'm like, yeah, life is good. I can do this. I like this guy, Colin. And you're a good-looking dude, man. I, I like girls, and I'm confident enough I can say this. But I have got some information for you, Colin, that you're probably not going to believe until you try this. And when I first started this podcast, Colin, I was terrified. And I looked at my lovely standard poodle, Ben. Before I launched the whole recovery elevator project, and I was like, Ben, it's going to be me and you forever. Here we go. Because, <laughs> you know, you hear, I mean, with, I'm honest. I'm honestly saying this right now. When I've heard girls in the past talk about traits for guys, they're like, yeah, you know, he's got to be tall, funny, handsome, good job, alcoholic, you know, has great aspirations. Oh, wait, wait, wait. You never hear alcoholic in there, right? And so <laughs> I thought... Coming out is an alcoholic. That's like coming out of the closet, right? I was telling everybody I'm an alcoholic. Like, what girl's going to want me? I don't really care because I have to stay sober, and this is part of my journey. However, Colin, this is the part that has shocked me. Like, I'm Joe Schmo. In the past, I was undateable, and I thought if I came out of the closet, I'm even more undateable. 
the opposite thing has happened, Colin. Like I'm getting asked out by girls. I'm still awkward as all hell around those girls. And they don't, you know, we don't go on second dates probably because of my fault, but you get the point, right? It's, it's the craziest thing. Uh, absolutely. Um, man, I, I, I got some time before I can, I can start dating again. Uh, it, it scares the hell out of me. I haven't ever sober dated ever. I don't think, but there's also, it's a great feeling knowing that whatever future relationships might come my way, I can be fully present for, uh, and and be a good boyfriend um and and not be handicapped by this thing and and I'm looking forward to that and you know the way I figure it uh with future dating and just with anyone in, in general is you know I'm, I'm proud to be in recovery you know I get on the the, the group um the Facebook group and I, I meetings and the people I've met in recovery just they kick ass uh just some of the kindest coolest uh just neat people that, that i've met ever and you know I, i'm i'm not worried about it because if someone is turned off because i'm in recovery then that's sort of a filter for for folks i don't want to be around anyway and so yeah I, i'm not worried about it i i am uh i'm quite glad to to hear you you're having luck with the ladies man <laughs> well, I gotta, I gotta be clear and transparent here, and I, I gotta be clear. I don't recommend getting in a relationship in early sobriety. In fact, I didn't do it for a year. I was undateable when I was drinking, and I was undateable up till about eight months of being sober. I had nothing that I could emotionally contribute to a relationship because I was repairing my life, repairing my brain, literally rewiring my brain with meditation and better food. And before I know it, you know, eight months, nine months, 10 months came and I was able to be in a moment and you said it. And another thing that you said there, be in a moment and be transparent and just fully be present. That was the word you said, the present. That's what I was trying to think of what you said. And another thing you said, I'm proud to be in recovery. It sounds like a Toby Keith song. I'm proud to be an American, but I am proud to be in recovery. I'm not even joking. This is my number one accomplishment right now. Number one accomplishment. It used to be my 40 yard dash time, which was not sub five, but it's, I'm kidding on that one. It is my number one accomplishment (laughs) is recovery in life. And I love how you said that. uh, Yeah. It's, you know, I I think only someone else in recovery really realizes what what you're trying to do. Uh, and, And just, we all should give ourselves a pat on the back, um, even those of us who are struggling. Uh, but it's just we're trying to, like you said, rewire our brains. I mean, it, every instinct we have is, is sort of hijacked by this thing. And so, you know, we, we find ourselves in recovery. We're not coming in on a winning streak, as they say. Uh, and so there's, there's <laughs> I, a, I lot times, a lot of times, a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of wreckage. And, so we get sober. Our instincts are wired all wrong. Our brains aren't working a lot of the time quite correctly because they're still trying to heal. Uh, we don't know how to deal with emotions uh, very well a lot of times. I know I don't. I'm still learning. I haven't felt emotions forever. And, and now I'm, I'm figuring out how to sit with them and, and, and handle them in a healthy way. And so, and then we're trying to put our lives back. It's, it's all these things. It, it, it's a huge deal for anybody. Uh, new Year's resolutions, for example, just to start walking 20 minutes every morning is sort of a challenge. And, and here we are trying to basically change tons of aspects about our lives all while we're trying to heal. And so, anyway, it's this gigantic, gigantic challenge. And anyone in recovery, I'm just, uh, that's why I say I'm, I'm proud to be amongst uh, such a group 
and, and we beat ourselves up a lot, but I think we need to give ourselves a break. Uh, we're doing amazing things. We're, we're really taking on quite a challenge. Absolutely. And and the odds are stacked against us. And if we work together, Mm -hmm. we're going to have a better chance of success. Carl, we could chat till the sun goes down. It's already down. Actually, till the sun comes up, let's put it that way. But we have reached the rapid fire round. If you could answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds, that'd be great. Are you ready, Colin? I think so. Here we go. Number one, what was your worst memory from drinking? When I bottomed out and uh, my, my girlfriend had left me. I was dealing with legal issues from a DWI. I was unemployed, just in despair. And we're sitting there in some woods, and long story short, is it was sort of either I'd get sober or I'd kill myself. And I had to struggle with that choice. And that's how crazy this thing is, uh, that that would even be a choice. But yes, that, that's, that's pretty low. So that was my worst moment for sure. And next question, Colin, what's your plan in sobriety moving forward? I'm going to keep growing, man. That, that's what I'm, I'm really coming to understand is if we're not growing towards self-improvement, then we're moving towards a relapse. Uh, and, and I really am seeing this more and more in myself. And it's kind of a good deal. Hey, you know, what a motivator to, to become a better person. <laughs> you know, we won't be able to, well, we could die, I mean, but I could die uh, if I don't keep improving. And so, just going to keep working a program and, and trying to tweak it and add to it and, and get better. Keep moving forward. I love it. Next question, Colin. What is your favorite resource in sobriety? Got a lot of them. Um, but, you know, the, the accountability group has become my favorite. It's absolutely fantastic to to, hook your, to, to walk this journey and, and with other folks who are going through the same thing. I have a at the click of a button in my pocket, you know, access to folks who are getting me aren't judgmental and we can help each other out. And so I love the, the accountability group. Yeah, what are some other resources just out of curiosity? And, and thanks for saying that <laughs> listeners, you, you've heard a couple of people say that. Uh, I, and I, then I joke, like call them to PayPal you money for saying that, but no, it's, it's my <laughs> number one resource as well. The accountability group is, is incredible. I love it. But what are some other resources you like in, in recovery? Uh, I, I do have meetings and, and those have been helpful readings. It, it helped. And oh, uh, a great one uh, that I'm using, uh, just started using uh, pretty recently is the intherooms.com. Um, they have online meetings and a whole online community there. But the online meetings are, are pretty fantastic. Uh, you can sort of complement face to face meetings that way and always just have a meeting right at your fingertips. And it runs pretty much the same way as a face to face meeting, but, but it's online. So it's a pretty neat time to, uh, to be in recovery uh, with technology. And, and such. com. I love that. I'm going to check that out. I've heard of it, but I got to check it out, actually. Next question, Colin, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you've ever received? Got a lot of good advice. Definitely, I think my favorite and the most helpful has been to play the tape or think through the next, or think through the drink is another way it said, which essentially means if you're having a craving or if, if you're romanticizing drinking, think through where it's going to lead. I'll feel good for maybe a half an hour. Then I'll sort of feel sick and, and drink myself into oblivion. Then I'll feel really sick. Then I'll wake up and be hungover. Then I'll have to let other folks know that, you know, I, I, I fucked up. Uh, I'll, have, I'll miss out on certain activities the next day. And it keeps going on and on. And that really helps 
give me perspective before I uh, before I drink. And Colin, what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are in early recovery or thinking about quitting drinking? If you're thinking about quitting drinking and you're listening to this, and, and I was totally that guy, uh, I would be counting shots listening to uh, that sober guy in recovery elevator podcast. Just reach out. You, you don't have to. You don't. Have, it doesn't have to be a gigantic deal. You don't have to stand on the, the rooftops and announce to everyone you're an alcoholic or. You don't have to sign some sort of lifelong membership in the AA, um, but just just reach out to somebody. And and the second you do that, everything changes. At least it did for me. The second I got it out there into the world, it was something that I could deal with. I could face. It wasn't this burden I was carrying around. So reach out. And and for anyone who um, is in early recovery, just let's go easy on ourselves, okay? <laughs> Let's, let's sort of, we're trying to do a, a very hard thing and we didn't ask to be sick. The self-loathing. It's just so unnecessary. I love it. And last, before we depart, Colin, give listeners your own personalized that you might be an alcoholic if. <laughs> you might be an alcoholic if you think it's perfectly okay to put shots of vodka in your protein drink or shake and then hit the gym and not see a huge problem with that. Oh, wow. I love it. Uh, I'm laughing because it's true. I mean, I've, I've done very similar things. I love it. Colin, <laughs> I got to say thank you for helping me stay sober today, and thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you, and thank you for everything you do. Great stuff from Colin, but now before we get to the end of the podcast, let's hear from our sponsor, Sober Nation. Sober Nation is the largest online recovery community and treatment resource center. They provide treatment resources to those struggling with addiction as well to family members who are caught in the crossfire. On top of that, Sober Nation is a huge community of good people who share their experience with each other. They have informative content, recent recovery and addiction news, as well as an entire clothing line which helps expand the culture of recovery. They can be found at www.sobernation.com. Once again, that's sobernation.com. I want to touch up a little bit more on what I said to Colin is the strangest thing has happened to me in sobriety. Girls are attracted to me? I never thought that would happen. Like I tell Colin in the interview, I've never heard the word alcoholic in that long laundry list of requirements that you women have, darn it. And so when I became public as an alcoholic, I was like, all right, Ben, that's my poodle. It's going to be you and me for a long time, but I got to stay sober. So this is what I got to do in my journey. However, the contrary has happened. I'm serious. I got asked out by a girl. It's actually happened twice now in recovery. I got a ding on my phone. I looked down to my social media platform, Facebook, and I read the message. The profile picture in Messenger was, the, was about the size of a small eraser, but I could tell. I was like, wait, this girl looks pretty cute. Clicked on the profile and I said, oh yeah, I remember meeting this girl like three, four years ago at a young professional meetup. And to confirm previous assumptions, she's very cute. Now, I have made it known on my Facebook page probably four to five times that I'm in recovery. I hit a year sobriety, and no joke. I think there was like 700 likes, 200 comments. My previous record was six. Kidding. A little more than that, but you get the point. But let me read you my response after we were trying to figure out a time. No joke. I'm reading this verbatim. Sunday could work. Just to clarify, are you asking me to coffee to get to know me better or are you worried you may have a drinking problem? Question mark, smiley face. Her response was, LOL, no, just to get to know you better. A little presumptuous and awkward on my end, 
But let me tell you, wearing honesty on your sleeve going into a date, not hiding anything, is amazing. And it's also attractive. And I'm fairly certain the fact that I'm an alcoholic is not why women are asking me out. It's because I think they appreciate the genuine honesty. I love having real conversations. That's why I have guys like Colin who are 16 days sober. They are real, genuine people packed to the brim with courage. We've all had those conversations where we're like, hey, Rick, how you doing? Rick's like, oh my God, I'm doing great. How about you, Paul? Oh man, fucking fantastic. But inside, that's not the case. It's refreshing at times when I ask somebody, hey, how are you? And I get back in, okay. It doesn't mean we need to both pull up a chair and get to the bottom of it, but it's honesty. And I think that's what women want. And let me tell you, if you watch the Mel Gibson movie, What Women Want, to find out what women want, you're going to walk out of that theater still having no idea what women want. But I do have a better idea that women want to go on a date with a guy who's not going to feed them bullshit answers, who's going to be honest with them. So you might be curious, what came of the date with the fun, cute blonde you went on the date with? Well, I am awkward and really no good at this stuff, so I read a dating blog And it said it's best to wait an average of 29.53 days before calling back to ask for a second date. Now that I think of it, that might be the astronomy blog I was reading about the full moon cycle. Anyways, it's been 26 days. I'll go ahead and call her in 3.53 days. Recovery Elevator, get outside of your comfort zone and come hang out with myself and lots of other like-minded individuals in Seattle, Washington on February 27th. Can't make that one? No worries. March 5th in San Francisco, the dates are on the books and it's happening. Please go to recoveryelevator.com, find the meetups tab, and RSVP to these events. Since there are costs associated with these meetups, it should be like $5 a person to distribute those costs. Recovery Elevator, I cannot wait to put faces to names. We all took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this.